You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. This is a conversation that we have been having and would keep having offline anyway, but I really think other people are going to benefit just from hearing your thoughts and insights into what's going on in the summer of 2020 and what has kind of opened like the, the floodgate on the, the conversation of racism right now and where we're at, we're at in America. And race is such a strange term. You know, we have different, different cultures and we're one human race but we've been given this framework of race to work with. And it's not an American only issue. You know, this is for, for centuries and centuries, we've had people warring with one another for whatever reasons, be it, be it skin color, be it religion, be it just again, power grabs. And as Catholic Christians, we're called to, to love one another because they are created in the image and likeness of God, this Imago Dei, this, we're the, we're, we're all children of God. Like that's the foundation of why we should even care about one another. Um, but as a church, we absolutely have not done everything right. We have not spoken up when we've need to. Um, we've had individual fallen witnesses that have not conveyed Christ's love. So we all have much to atone for, um, much to, to, to keep growing in, much to keep listening here. Um, but the only way forward is with the gospel. It's not from the mere trying to burn everything and tearing it all down. Are we actually going to arrive at any kind of healing? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way forward. And you, Nathan, have been given such a unique story. Um, and you're already a leader that's responding to the call that God's given you. And I think that God's going to call you out even more through your own unique story. And so to, to, to jump into kind of a little bit who, who you are, um, but you wrote a three-part open letter. You just finished your third part recently. Um, if only life was black and white like me. And the first one is, as, as is addressed to, um, white family friends and, and, and whoever audience wants to read it. The second one is to your back, your black family friends, whatever audience. And the third is to, to Christians. And I think it was, I was just rocked by your writing and I really wanted to continue that conversation. And those can be read at those who seek org correct that's it so uh this is going to go through the first letter loosely and then we're going to have some some follow-up videos too on the second and the third and who knows what god wants of this strange new friendship uh 
that's on both sides of the country here, but we're recording right around the 4th of July weekend and you're at a friend's house and you got the flag all around you, man. Flagged out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But Nathan, Nathan, who just who are you, and and again, what prompted all this writing? Yeah, no. So I, I'm a I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, as you allude to, and the title alludes to. I, I was raised by a black father and a white mother in Harrisburg, PA, and uh, you know, just going. I kind of really at Mount St. Mary's University, where I went to school, I really kind of found my voice and, and found the uh, passion and call to to just be some type of a spiritual leader. You know, like whatever level God wanted that to be at. Um, but I think, you know, as I started to do that, and I started to write a lot more. I think God was kind of preparing me at the beginning of 2020. I started doing uh, Exodus 90 to end at Easter time. And part of like my extra commitment, because I'd always wanted to have a blog or just like commit to writing. And so I said, all right, I'm going to write a weekly reflection. And I did that somewhat in my time in Afghanistan. I was deployed to Afghanistan like three years ago, um, almost exactly three years ago, actually. I was July 4th, 2017, was in Afghanistan. So, um, yeah, so I had, had written, but it was always very inconsistent. And so God really kind of prepared me through Exodus 90, writing weekly reflections. And then we got the blog website up and all that stuff. So um, as, as this kind of started to break out, right, with the murder of George Floyd, at first, you know, and this is, I think this is a, one of the first learning points for people is, like, I just took a lot of stuff in, you know, like I take time, I'm an external processor, so I'm having conversations with people, but I'm trying to take in as much information and learn and really, you know, as somebody, I think, as Christians, I think it's important for us to be able to say, okay, um, I need to listen to the experience of people and see how people are experiencing this. That's why I think a lot of people are, are messing up and we're not leading as, as a church is called to lead and impacting the way we're supposed to, because people hear something, hear a story and they react and they make their opinion on it. But we're called to not just hear and see what's happening, but then to look around and be like, okay, how is this affecting the world? How is this affecting society? How is this affecting my friends and my family members and things like that? And we'll talk a little bit more about how, how we fail to do that, I think. But that's kind of what, what led to me doing that is I started to realize, okay, and, and that's what led to the, the three-part breakdown of the different audiences, which it's still meant to be read by everybody, but kind of allowed me to speak to each kind of group um, in a unique way because I was I was taking the time to learn and, and contemplate and empathize with how everybody was kind of processing and going through the time, you know, which is, it's affecting everybody. For sure. And uh, again, to grow up with Tupac and Kenny Chesney, yeah. <laughs> to be straddling two different types of, of cultures, whether that's fashion or music, it's a very unique perspective uh, you've been given. And again, I think you can speak into the moment that's going on right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and, and, um, I, again, I was, I think out of those desert moments, like something like Exodus 90, uh, God brings a lot of fruit. And so you, I think you, if you abided by the whole thing of the no sugar and the no, the no, uh, cold showers, yep. then God help you. But <laughs> Out of that comes so much tremendous growth and uh, so much uh, hearing what God wants you to do that you, you we wouldn't have been able to hear before because there's so much noise, there's so much technology that, you know, you don't make time for that silence and that prompt and that call to write, which is, again, I've seen a lot of people sharing your writing, which is awesome because, again, it, it's hit a nerve. And like you said, it's, it's meant for everyone. I think you do need to read all three parts to get the whole picture, not just... Sure. one and done like and i hope you keep writing because again it's awesome 
Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, it was, it was so through prayer, you know, and that's what Exodus 90 was for me, even, even, you know, the difficulties of <laughs> some of the things we had to give up or add in with the cold showers and stuff. It was rugged, but the, the commitment and just like adherence to, to daily prayer was, yeah, what, what led to all of this. So, so very grateful. And just the people in my life. And I think it's important to recognize that. I always like to emphasize the, the role that we can play in the lives of other people, you know, similar to what you're doing with me now and uh, the role that we're called to, well, we receive that from certain people. We should be grateful for those who, you know, prompt us, prompt us to do things and also um, strive to be that for other people. You know, when you're prayerful and you're, you're guided by the Holy spirit, you're going to be more effective in doing that. But one of my, one of my uh, bosses at work, Scott Landry was the one who kind of kicked all this off for me too. Cause he, he just called to reach out. Like I said earlier, you know, just to see how I was doing. He was doing that. He was doing his, his homework to just kind of research and see other people around him were processing everything that was happening. And that's what started me kind of like, you know, thinking about it and getting going. So, so yeah, Scott, Scott was huge in that. Definitely. So, so with that, the first letter, what are, what are some, what's the jump off point for this brief conversation today? What do you want to emphasize? Yeah. So I think, I think one of the, the first key things that I tried to kind of break down the first letter was just this, um, really the first half of the letter, I think just kind of goes through this, uh, process of walking white friends and family through what is it like to be black in America by, uh, you know, being relatable and putting it in the context that they can understand, right? So kind of starting off with saying that, you know, it's, it's unfair to you at this time that you feel like you can't win. And I think there's a lot of white people who are kind of going through that experience, right? It's like, well, if I don't say anything, then I'm wrong. And if I say the wrong thing, then I'm wrong. And if I, you know, some people say that I should post the black box on Blackout Tuesday, but then some people are saying that if I do that, then I'm taking away from black voices and I'm not promoting the right things. And it's like, what are you supposed to do? You know, and you feel like you're losing and you feel like there's this pressure that you can't say or do the right thing because of the color of your skin. And it's like, you know, while I don't want people to experience that, while you're experiencing, you are experiencing it. Yeah. So like, while we're here, you know, like, let's talk about how that. Let's, feels, let's talk right? about it while we're here. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's unfortunate that we got here. Wish it didn't happen. I don't, you know, I'm not like a, a vengeance. I want everybody to experience the same pain and struggle that other people have. But while we're here, let's talk about it, you know? And so I, I want to start off with, uh, and what I start off in the letter, just bolded in the center of the page is that you're not inherently evil or racist because you're white. And there's people who are spreading that, spreading that idea and spreading that, all white people are bad or all cops are bad. And it's important for us all to recognize that that's, that's no different than the, the prejudice or stereotype of hate that we believe exists, you know, or that does exist in the minds of racists, in the minds of racist white people who target or, you know, discriminate against black people. And we don't, we need to be focused more on bringing like stereotypes and prejudices and discrimination to an end. And instead, you know, just promoting a different form of it is not the way that we're going to get to that. But I think I try to just open the conversation by, you know, saying like, hey, you know, I know you've been going through a lot, man. Like, it's been a lot for me to process as well. But part of leadership is to be able to accept, okay, I'm struggling. You know, like I shed tears for, the, for George Floyd and just kind of like the emotions of the moment and seeing all the people hurting. But I can also still, you know, process my emotions like in a sense, like man up or just like you know, take the, take the grace and, and, and rely on the strength of, of God and say, okay, I can handle this. Let me ask you how you're doing as well in the midst of this, you know? And I think that that's something that you develop over time, that ability to do that through the prayer, through developing that perseverance and endurance, which is talked about a lot in scripture, but we kind of, you know, neglect the, the need for that and, uh, and fail to understand really what that looks like when it's played out in the life of, of an evangelist or Christian, you know? 
one of the first things you said to me was was the call again to to mourn with those who mourn because there there have been a string of tragedies that have happened against Black Americans that have led up to these you know uh, protests and, and and riots and um, you know you throw keeping us locked up with COVID for months on end it's just a powder keg but yeah. to to first like the first posture should be like in a, you know uh, life was taken here life and and, and people who have mothers and brothers and family and the 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 first again the, the courts are going to kind of do their thing and figure out and, and and hopefully justice is served towards the the perpetrators towards cops that again should have intervened but the first posture as christians should be one of mourning of one of right again life was taken um before it's time and and out of this comes again a reaction of am I racist because of X, Y, Z, or I'm not, or I'm not racist, but I feel like I am, or I feel like I can't win. And it is this uncomfortable thing that you kind of, and so people risk the pendulum swinging back the other way too aggressively. And it's like, right. You know, because out of, out of defense and because it's hard, it's hard to listen. It's hard to sit in that uncomfortable space and even just be willing to learn. Like I know I'm not racist. However, what attitudes, what jokes, what, what, what have I internalized over my life that maybe I do have some prejudgments that I do, um, again, to, to not be so quick to jump and say I'm innocent, but more to search yourself and say, how, how am I part of the problem? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because the truth is, and I talk about this in, in the first one as well, is that we all have stereotypes. We all have prejudices, you know? And so we're all going through that. We're all experiencing, uh, you know, these thoughts and, and patterns that we've developed in our mind or that the media has presented to us over the years, you know? And that's, that's one of the things that I try to, to speak to, to, to both sides of the aisle to say that, Hey, if you were raised in a completely white neighborhood and white school and like all you saw was like rappers and, you know, criminals put, put on that are put on the news, like it's not entirely your fault if that was the image that was was created in you right that was created in your mind and that's kind of been imprinted but now is the time for us to evaluate that and say wait a minute you know like i've kind of been brainwashed by all this stuff you know my lack of exposure to other cultures other people and it's time to like pray my way through removing that from my from my heart you know and that's what i think is is great about this kind of experience is that it's a time for us all to sit back and reflect even myself you know and and people people of color have to sit back and reflect as well okay, like, if there's hate in my heart, if I have, if I see any type of people and I make it, I make judgments or assumptions about them, like, that's not a good thing, you know? And I think I, I talk about, you know, some of the experiences that I've had of, of this wonder, you know, of, of wondering if I'm being treated a certain type of way, a negative way because of, because of my skin color and, and the stereotypes that I have of certain people that I see that look super country or what, I mean, it happens all the time. I work in Northern Kentucky, live in Cincinnati now, work in Northern Kentucky and you see some Kentucky people. And if they're, you know, there's some pretty country Kentucky folk and you're like, okay, you're not looking at me. You're kind of being disrespectful or weird. And I make the assumption because of the way they're dressed, that maybe that's because not because they're introverted or they're shy or they're just going about their business, but because, you know, they don't like me because of the color of my skin that happens, you know, and I've got to say, well, that's not fair to them any more than it's fair to me for them to make assumptions about me based on the way that I'm dressed or that I speak or whatever. Um, but, but just kind of recognize, okay, like it, it's happening to all of us. Um, but that, that kind of sense of wonder is something that I think is, 
probably my favorite part. I think it's like the core of core of the letter, you know, just to talk about um, maybe you can you can speak to some some times in your life where maybe you were the only white person in a room full of, of black people or Hispanic people or something like that. And you kind of you kind of know what that that isolation of what that feeling's like. You know? Yeah, and, and imagine going the majority of your life maybe feeling that. Right. And I think that is what we all have to step back and, and experience and, and look at again, our own life experience. And again, you wrote about, um, it, you know, if being singled out in school, was it just cause you were a knucklehead or was it, you know, how to do something with your skin color or again, being, um, singled out in the military and having to repeat a cycle of training. Was that cause of just one, one, uh, superior really didn't like me cause I slept in or whatever, or was it like, there is that kind of wondering that for some of us, we never, that never even crosses our mind. Mm-hmm. That's not like, uh, Oh, I'm not, i missed this opportunity or I'm being targeted out because of the color of my skin. Like some of us go through life where that's never seriously a concrete thought. Right. And I think, yeah, and that's this is one of the ways that I really tried to you know approach it from coming over to the per, the other person's side and saying, hey, like let's think back to the time where you were the only person of your color in the room, you know, because I know I was raised, I went to Catholic schools where we had you know five out of forty kids in the class was black. I, I talk about like I was at family reunions where I was the only person of color at the family reunion, you know, maybe one or one or two of us there. Uh, if my dad decided not to go, you know, like <laughs> there was about a 50% chance I had another cousin who was mixed um, that I was going to be the only, only brown person at my family reunion, you know, uh, on my mom's side. And so, yeah, when you go through those things, I think just thinking back, cause I was like reflecting and processing, I'm like, I can remember my high school friends, college friends, like we go to play basketball at the gym or you go to a barbershop together or you go, you know what I mean? Like a, a concert or a comedy show or whatever. And it's like, you walk in there and I'm like almost every time. And they don't, I don't think they mean any harm by it, but they're just like, they notice it, you know, like they notice it. They, they feel a little bit uncomfortable. They point it out. And these are guys who are like, pretty familiar with black culture and like, you know, are on the more comfortable side. It's like, so when I'm talking to some of the more, you know, like churchy Catholics, I'm like, you guys probably have very seldom experienced that. And if you have, it's like less than five times, you know, and you probably very, very vividly remember that. And so it's, and this is something that I think a lot of people make a mistake in uh, kind of jumping to that assumption, right? Because I've had certain people say, well, you just get used to it, don't you? Like, Mm-hmm. it's like over time like it just has to become normal and wow. it's like dude like, <laughs> you can't, like you can't just jump to the conclusion that it's going to be normal and, and the truth is that you do uh, like grow more accustomed to it obviously I'm going to be I'm probably a little bit more comfortable with it than some of my white friends and family would be you know being the only person of color in my room because I'm I do it a lot but you still every new experience every new time you know like you kind of recognize it and you kind of you kind of have to overcome that in your mind and know that you always have to wonder if some people are thinking about that you know and i've had it's so funny i was just like playing basketball with these two dudes at the park this past week and it happened to me all the time growing up where i'd be you know i worked very hard to, to you know to grow my skill and my talent at basketball and practice so much more than so many kids that i knew and it was always oh well you're good because you're black you know, and I was just thinking about that this past week because I was playing with these guys. I'm just like, I, you, you just and just like being more aware of it after doing some of the stuff and writing. It's just like, I wonder if that's what they think it is. Not that I was I had been playing for 50 minutes before I started 
before they got out there, right? Like, I was shooting around by myself, dribbling, like, practicing by myself. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder if they came out here and think, oh, like, you know, he's better because he's black. And there's nothing wrong with those guys. But just, like, that, that mindset that exists in these small, subtle ways that say, oh, you know, because of your skin color, you're this or that, and you're expected to be this or that. And it's not because you worked harder than me. It's not because of this. You know, it's, it's because of the color of your skin. And it, it, that, those kind of experiences compound over time to really make you wonder when you're in other circumstances like that, like it's like you said, is the lady at church. I've had it at churches where I'm going to the daily mass, you know, at a random church and I'm the only brown person there and somebody, you know, gives me a scowl or I'm like, you know, am I, am I sitting in your spot? Like, did I do something, you know? And I'm this, you know, young black tatted, tatted dude. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, is, are you like, is it, is it where I'm sitting? Is it how I'm looking? Like what, what's bothering you about me right now? And you just have to, you just have to wonder, um, yeah, like what is what is the circumstance and uh, what is what is the cause of of what seems to be a distance between you and me? You know. Yeah, there's so much to to go from that. There's so much like we could spend an hour on some of those points you just talked about. Because yeah, again, to invest yourself in a skill, be that a sport, be that um, um, you know a profession, whatever it is, and to put hours and hours of practice in, and then to just be to have someone write it off because oh, it's because you're black, because you're white, because you're Asian, whatever, like. You know, and, and sometimes we think, well, it's, it's just humor. It's just funny. Right. And I think there, there does have to be a place for humor, but I think we also need to revisit, okay, some of the stuff that we thought was funny actually isn't that funny. Or right. again, put, put myself in someone else's shoes and this is all they've heard their whole life. Or this is, you know, I think it's funny. Maybe it's my way to diffuse tension or to, again, just, I think I'm ragging on a guy out of love, but he's hearing something different. That that's a hard thing to think like, oh, it's just a joke. It's just humor. I've had my own kind of uh, wake up moments of real, of again, jokes I've heard, you know, my whole life or again, stuff from again, past generations that you could tell, well, that's racist. But then, you know, it gets to us and be like, well, that's not that racist or that's not whatever. And I have to be like, well, no, I've had friends be like, yeah, that's not funny. Or that's, again, I've heard that my whole life. And guess what? Like, I don't need you telling me that too. Right. Yeah. And it's tough, you know, and I think it's hard for a lot of people. And this is, this is where you get frustrated when it, when it comes to Catholics, you know, when it comes to people who are a part of the body of Christ is that we should, we ought to have developed the humility, you know, to be able to, to be able to have, hear that back from somebody, apologize, you know what I mean? And, and then go about making the change within ourselves. Like life right. is a constant struggle of that. Like we're going to be doing that until we're in heaven. You know, just like constantly apologizing, constantly, you know, going back to repentance from God and from neighbor. Um, but we can't, we can't, uh, you know, just be so prideful or so worked up and caught up in ourselves that we refuse to hear, oh, maybe what you did was wrong or maybe what you said was wrong or it, it hurts somebody, you know, because you can't argue with somebody's feelings or somebody's experience of, of how they felt when you said something. And we, we ought to be willing to apologize. And it's something that I talk about throughout the letters is we should have already built up some of these virtues. You know, like a lot of us are being exposed right now for not having that humility to be able to hear that, to not have the humility to say, what am I doing wrong? And what, what have I said wrong? How have I offended people? You know, I think you hit on something good there with uh, talking about, uh, you just mentioned like, because you're Asian and just think about the ways that we say, oh, like you're good at school because you're, you're Asian or, you know, like the, the, some of those things just kind of discredit people's hard work and the commitment that they've had to success in their life because of their skin color. And, and, and nobody wants that to have, nobody wants to have that done to them. 
right? You see a lot, a lot of people who attribute those same things to racial success hate the idea of white privilege or any advancement, you know, or, or because of the color of their skin. They don't want to hear anything about that. That doesn't exist at all. But, you know, Asians who do well in school, black people who are good athletes, it's because of the color of their skin. And that's some of the, you know, hypocrisy that we got to start to work through to say, well, yeah, like, let's not attribute your success to the color of your skin, but let's not do that to anybody, <laughs> you know, and let's take the time to kind of embrace that. But I think that's a good point to kind of transition into the, the next big part of the letter is, is how once we, if we have the humility and we hear that, or we get, we get, uh, you know, approached by somebody or somebody says they didn't like something we, we, we said, or we've offended people, like how do we balance the, the shame and guilt that can kind of come along with that? Right. Cause that's, I think that people, I think the reason why people are so afraid, Bobby, of, of hearing, you know, Oh, I said something racist or I did something. The reason why they jumped into defensiveness is because of the fear of shame. And they're afraid of like what that's going to bring. Like this idea of being racist is like the worst thing you can be right now. Right. Like there's, yeah, there's nothing worse in the world's eyes than being a racist and everybody's being called a racist. So it almost doesn't even mean anything anymore because it's just like, it's just being overused to the point that you can't even, you know, like take it seriously to a certain extent. You yeah. Know? Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, but how do we, how do we navigate and help people to, to, to guide away from that, that shame, but embrace the guilt so that we can repent, you know, and be better in the future. Because I think that's, that's the key thing that will keep people from being defensive is if it's like, Hey, you don't need to be ashamed. Like you don't need to go into hiding. Like you don't have to be canceled. You know, like you just made a mistake and you're going to make more and I'm going to make more, you know, but we as at least within the church have to avoid this like worldly mindset that we have now of like, if somebody wasn't perfect, we're tearing, tearing down statues, we're desecrating things like you're canceled. You're, you're nobody should support you in any way whatsoever. Everybody should hate you because you've made a mistake. And we have to, we ha- we at least, you know, within us have to avoid that and, and encourage people to avoid that. Yeah, we have to be better. And it's hard because we're playing by the modern world's games and using their technology. And so you put an opinion out there, as you said at the beginning, like you're right or wrong, no matter what you do, like, you know, if you post, if you don't post, you're evil, no matter what, it just kind of feels that way. And we've got to, we've got to rise above it and be willing to have conversations and it's it's tough too because it's like go and have face-to-face conversations with people not like you and yet we're told to stay home or you're going to spread COVID and die so it is this like the online world's the only thing we got right now and that's just leads to just a lot of toxic conversations there but I think again we we should push back if again it's just kind of uh, be these messages trying to steamroll you, you're a racist because of your skin color. Like, no, I can push back and be like, no, there's a, there's an agenda here. There's some bad actors. Um, but if there is like a, again, John Paul II even said like, there's a healthy dynamic of shame in that, by the way, if you hear constant like bumping, it's my son who's trying to get out of his crib. He's just like, you know, trying to break free. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that thumping if you can hear that. But John Paul II said that there's a healthy aspect to shame, which is um, it's a recognition of I have done something wrong. Like shame in the sense of the body is not the body is bad, but because it is so good, I want to protect it. He writes about that in the theology of the body. Shame is this kind of protective element of you, we kind of go within and, and maybe again on the, 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 in the sphere of sin and and this racism conversation there's a shame of like i know i haven't spoken up i know i have fallen short mm. and the, the the devil wants you to stay in that shame 
wants you to stay in that. I'm an awful person. I should be canceled. I should just retreat into, into the sunset and let that, my life be that. But it's like, no, 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 no. God wants to redeem us of all of our sin, be that pride, anger, lust, even this pre, even prejudgment and be like, no, we need to be healed. We need to do better. We don't shut down the church because we've done some racist things in the past. It's like we we call to repent and, and be redeemed by Christ and grow so that others can see, can see the light. Mm. And be sent out, you know, and that's what I think is, is something that is so important is a lot of, a lot of people I think are either, yeah, they're just in, in that deep place of shame and they're just, you know, silenced or they're just in a place of, of ignoring it. And it's like, well, let's, let's not do either of those things. And, and I'm not here to make a judgment on anybody or any influencer or individual that I know, because I don't know the conversations that they're having. I don't know the way they're praying through the, the struggles of their own heart and their own lives, you know, and, and what they might be doing to help, help advance that. Um, but I think a lot of people, yeah, just, we talked about this on, on Instagram, you know, just like people were so like, I'm not going to be controlled or influenced by this defensiveness, you know, this defensiveness, these walls that go up. And it's like, man, like how there's such a tender balance between, you know, not being controlled and just like influenced and pushed by the world, but also being open to hear the suffering and, and, uh, you know, the struggles of the world and allowing God to have that, you know, channel of communication to say, Hey, I need you to speak about this. I need you to reach out to this person. I need you to, whatever it might be that he's calling you to, but either way, we, if we get too defensive and we shove everybody away from us, then God can't use us. The, the world's not going to use us, that, which is good. You know, we're not going to become overly worldly or changed by the world, but we're also not going to be able to be used by God. And like, God wants to, yeah, have that access to your heart to unlock you from, from the shame uh, and redeem you. But then also after that, he wants to use you as a positive, positive influence in the world, you know, which is, it's something that every single one of us is called to do. If it's in our own little small, you know, corner of the world and whatever we're called to do, if it's online or whatever it might be, like God wants to use each one of us during this time to, to really help unify the church, bring people closer to him. That's always our mission. That's always our purpose, you know? And so we're called to do that and called to remove whatever obstacles are in the way of people getting closer to Jesus. And, and we, we have to be the facilitators of that, the hands and feet of, of Jesus on, on earth right now to, to make that happen, you know? So how do we figure out like, what, what are we holding on to? Like what stereotypes or what resentment, like how do we better search our own hearts and figure out like, what have I been carrying with me? What defensiveness, again, for me, it's always like, what's what's going on a layer underneath? Like, so if, if for say, um, I'm getting very defensive about these accusations of white privilege and, and, and onward, it's like, okay, what's going on there? Yeah. Like, again, I can, I can disagree with, with certain tenets of it. I can question and critique. Um, if there is a, a real strong though resentment uh, and defensiveness, like what's going on there? Yeah. And that's, that's the maturity, you know, the spiritual maturity, I think, and just general emotional maturity to say, what's the root cause of this? You know? And I think that that's something that we don't talk about enough within the church. It's just like that kind of, even just in your emotions of saying, okay, I'm experiencing this emotion. How many people, you know, like what percentage of people that you and I both know actually take the time to, to say, okay, what actually led to that? What caused that outburst or that anger? Because that's the thing I think, you know, I'm moved by stuff that I see on Facebook or on Instagram and things like that. But I'm not like, my world doesn't get rocked by it. I have a limit that I'll allow myself to consume of news and opinions and things like that. But I also know, you know, that I have to 
be open to that and I can experience it without, and I can entertain thoughts in my head. You know, like Aristotle talks about like being able to entertain a thought without fully accepting it. Um, to, but to be able to do that, you know, and be able to experience that. And the way that we do that, I think is, is really developing that emotional and spiritual maturity, which comes through prayer life and understanding and growing to understand your emotions, but also having like a really, really deep prayer life. Because when I have a deep prayer life, that's when I, I have like, I say that I have like these, like kind of like your dashboard in a car, you know, like I can know when my tires low, I know when, you know, check engine, like I can kind of feel when things are not right. You know, I feel like when things are not good and my senses are up and they're working when I have a deep prayer life. Um, and that's, that's the way that you kind of can start to say, okay, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm not feeling well. You know, my heart's not good. My mind's not good. Like maybe it's not time for me to speak right now. Maybe I just need to listen or maybe I need to step away and come back and have this conversation another time or do some research, understand things a little bit better. But I think the, the best way to kind of walk through that is to call the Holy Spirit into your heart, and into your life in prayer and reflect upon that. Ask yourself some of those good questions of who are the people who make me most uncomfortable in the world? We, we all have some type of people that dress a certain way, that look a certain way, talk a certain way that make you the most uncomfortable, you know, who are the people that are least represented in your life? You know, there's no diversity in your friend groups or the people that you surround yourself with. Do I have people around me and do I fight? Do I actually strive to have people around me all the time who believe exactly the same way I do, think the exact same way I do? When was the last time I, I took in some type of, you know, opinion article or I read a book or something by somebody who I know, you know, sees the world differently than I do, whether that's just a different culture, a different experience. You know, there's so many good books out there that are that help you to kind of see uh, from all these different cultures and, and different perspectives and ways of life and, you know, Netflix documentaries and things like that. And I tell people all the time, like, yes, if you watch 13th on Netflix, which I recommend, there's going to be some stuff in there that's a little bit extra, you know. In, in, a, in a way that, you know, has some agenda to it that might be a little bit extreme, that might be a little exaggerated, but generally you're going to learn some stuff. You're going to see the impact that mass incarceration has had on the black community, which is important to know, you know, but it's like, can we, can we get out of this bubble? And I'm always encouraging Catholics, especially to get out of this bubble that if, you know, Mother Teresa didn't write it, I can't read it. And it's like, we ha there's other stuff in the world and, and we're called, one thing that we often forget about, I think as Catholics is that we're not just called to evangelize and help people who are already Catholic. You know, yes, Catholicism yes. in America, like we stopped, it, we stopped evangelizing outside of the church. And I don't know why that happened, you know, but like, I know sometimes as converts, we can come in and be like, wait, like we should have more converts, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit easier. But so often because we have such a bad retention rate at home, you know, and we have such a, a bad retention rate of people who are baptized Catholic, it's like, that's the only people we want to, we want to keep. And we should be striving to, to reach those. But while we're doing that, let, let's not forget that we have all these other people in the world, there's 70 million Catholics in America, but there's what, 300, 300 plus million people in America. And we are not just responsible for the 70, we're responsible for the 300 million plus, you know, and the world at large. And so we have to evaluate those things. Who makes me most uncomfortable? Who is it that I'm most afraid of speaking to? Who is it that, you know, I, I keep out of my life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and how can I start to learn about them, grow to become this, you know, all things to all people so that I can be the best, disciple maker that I can possibly be. It's so easy to stay in our echo chamber of politics, of faith. And like you said, like never evangelize, never, never listen, uh, never even want to listen to what the other side has to say. It's so easy to fall. And that, that's, a, that's again, a tactic of the devil to divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. And we've got to be willing to rise above it and, and rise above the comfort of our little bubbles and echo chambers there. Um, 
and, and absolutely get uncomfortable, get in the uncomfortable conversations. And it doesn't mean like you have a different opinion and I have to succumb to that. And, and I am wrong and horrible and you are right. It's the first posture is, is, is prayer. As you said, standing, grounding yourself in Christ, who is the authentic healer, um, who wants to bring the whole world to himself. Mm-hmm. And then listen, again, then to honestly listen and assess. And again, the goal is to, again to, to build some bridges, not just, okay, I heard you out. Uh, now you have to listen to me. Because mm-hmm. again, this, this goes back to like, there's, there's a contingent of people that are hurting and feel like they haven't been heard. Yeah. And, and that's why you've got, uh, again, this, this, this movement of unrest right now. And again, in your writing, I saw not a person who wanted to add more politics and add a bigger rift, but someone that was really trying to uh, bring some authentic healing. And that's why I really want to, I hope your message gets out uh, to the people who need to hear it and beyond. Um, because I think, again, God's given you a unique life experience and you've got a lot to bring to the table, Nathan. So I want to thank you again for, for writing, uh, for, for listening to the Lord and writing what you've done and then the ministry you're doing and are going to continue to do. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think, yeah, it's so important. And I think what you just hit on that was, that's so big. And that I think is, is a good, uh, a good kind of final thought that I have is just like, dive into the uncomfortable, you know, like my, what I define, you know, when somebody asks me, what do you define as a man or a woman? Like just being an adult is you do the right thing, whether you feel like it or not, you know, like a man does what he ought to do, whether he feels like it or not. Same thing with a woman, you know, versus a girl and a boy. And, And that's what we just need more men and women in the world. And we need them to be plugged in to you know, to the source of, of life and strength and holiness that is, you know, our relationship with God, that is the church, that is the sacraments, so that we can be filled up to, to know what we ought to do and what we're being called to do, and then also have the strength and discipline. The community around us that's encouraging us to go out and execute and do what that is, you know, despite how uncomfortable it is, despite how hard it is, because we don't look up to the people in, in our lives, you know, whether it is, again, you know, St. Teresa of Calcutta, or, uh, you know, uh, an army ranger or, you know, what Navy SEALs or anybody that we look up to in our lives. It's not because when, when things got hard, they quit, you know, it's not because they didn't, they avoided, they were the best at avoiding the uncomfortable situations. No, the people we look up to were the ones who found like literally sought out moments like this to say, okay, you know, what can I do? Like, God, this is a, this is a tough one. Like this is when you need, this is when you need a leader. This is when you need saints to rise up and and to do the things and have the hard conversations and love your people who are hard to love right now to love the people who are rioting and looting. You know what I mean? Um, Which is, which is not easy, you know, to pray for those people, to pray for the enemies, to pray for the people who are racist in our country um, and do those hard things. Um, that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're, we're trying to do here, which is, which is really great. So thank you, Bobby, as well, for, for taking the time. For sure. And so we're going to do a part two and a part three to this. And then who knows, again, what else in the future, but we are going to do uh, another one that's going to focus on, uh, again, your, your uh, experience as black and as, as, as writing to the black community, um, your, your kind of wisdom and insights during this time. So that's going to be that conversation is going to come out next.